it's a fascinating time. Jump back here. So since the Russian invasion of Ukraine, the world has really entered into a uh, new era of massive geopolitical, economic, and societal shifts. And out of my question, I'm wondering, is uh, is somebody more hardline coming in uh, if Putin's outed? Um, that's a whole different discussion. We'll have at a later date. But I think the real issue we're faced with is we're, we are a world at war right now, not just the war in Ukraine, but there's a a worldwide economic war being played out as the uh, trading blocks and global trade undergoes a lot of uh, shifts. And we're also now, from an investment perspective, entering into a new economic period where um, after having uh, very strong returns across asset classes for a long time due to historically low interest rates and highly accommodative monetary and fiscal policies, we're now entering into this period where uh, we have different economic opportunities being presented, but it's going to be a much more difficult environment with a with a new rate structure. So I think we're in a, one of those periods where we're going to likely continue to see uh, very high uncertainty. Um, there's big debates whether the war in Ukraine, uh, this offensive is turning the tide or does it slow things down or speed things up? Um, but it, it seems like we're going to be have to prepare for the long haul with uh, how that's going to play out in, in Europe and, and in Russia. Um, but it's going to lead to just more uncertainty and volatility um, like we've seen this year. And really, we're in a period unlike any we've, we've been in uh, for most of our lives. So let's jump right into it. So the pandemic and the war obviously slowing growth. We had a big rebound after the drop in 2020 due to the pandemic. But now we're seeing this slowing uh, global growth, and we're seeing that where you're seeing economic activity uh, still in an expansionary phase. Over 50 for PMIs is an, is an expansion, but it's certainly moving closer to uh, contractionary uh, areas, and we're seeing that in some of the monthly numbers that have come out. I think what we saw with the C CPI print today is you can't put too much stock in any one-month number. Obviously, the market was not well positioned for a, for a stronger print than they were expecting as we saw a thousand point change in the, uh, in the Dow and NASDAQ's down close to three or four percent today. So this is not what the market was looking for. This is a kind of CPI print, but we are seeing economic activity start to slow in terms of the PMIs as at the same time you have headline inflation on the rise. Uh, and really all around the world, except for a handful of, of countries. You're seeing global trade getting back to a higher levels than it was pre-pandemic, but it's a very different trade setup that we have. And I think this, this new alignment that is coming from the geopolitical and, and economic shifts is leading to what I've talked about in the past of these trading blocks of like-minded uh, countries where you have uh, – China and Russia and, and other nations more aligned, uh, as uh, Putin and Xi have said. Um, and then you have the West uh, really aligning against Russia in, in, in the war. And we're creating these new trading uh, habits, which are really going to be moving from highly efficient global trading systems that have been set up over the last 20, 30 years to shifting to more safe and secure trading uh and supply chain systems 
that will actually create inflationary pressures in the near term as we're reorienting supply chains. Um, and that's actually part of what's been so hard for the global economy to deal with. And we're doing this at a time that governments had, uh, due to the pandemic, really increased their borrowing. Um, and you can see how dramatic the borrowing was over the last couple of years. And while it's uh, slowing down now considerably, it is creating a problem for us where uh, you do have limited bandwidth. And I think what you're seeing here is that the response to the pandemic was uh, part cure, part symptom of the problems we're facing today as we've put a lot of debt on the system, as you can see, the, the jump up. And there has been some uh, return down, but this is not a, a debt-to-GDP level that the global economy should be comfortable with. And and that limits the capability of governments to step in and, and uh, bail their countries out at this time. And it creates a real dilemma for for government leaders when you have significant short-term issues and massive structural issues that you have to address at the same time. And you just have to keep in mind as investors that, you know, the job one of a government elected official is usually to get reelected. And to do that, you're going to do the short term rather than the long term, because the hardest part of making the decisions that government leaders have to make today is uh, most of the right decisions will not lead to a reelection. And I think that's going to be one of the challenges that we're faced with as we continue to layer on short-term solutions to structural issues. And that just prolongs the pain and, and, and lowers the efficiency of what you're doing. You've also have this coming at a time that money supply is uh, coming back down considerably. That's going to ease some of the inflationary pressures, but it's also going to ease a lot of the support for the global economy. That's another thing that's playing out. And one of the things that I think is going to uh, start to bleed through in terms of uh, some of the inflation readings over time. But one of the big changes is that's resulted to the, to the war is uh, the dollar has become very attractive again. And I think we're going to continue to see the dollar start to be at a more of a peak level here, not continue to pressure up. But the movement already has pressured the emerging economies in a particularly hard way uh, since a lot of the uh, commodities, most all commodities trade in dollars these days. Um, the stronger dollar makes it more expensive to deal with the issues that they need to deal with, food and energy, which are two of the most pressing issues on the most hardest hit parts of the population, uh, countries and individuals that is going to continue to weigh on the system. And I think that's that strong dollar is helpful for the U.S. We're going to continue to attract capital. But just to give you a sense of the why the dollar is so strong, I think there's a couple issues, but one in, in a nutshell, and you saw the shift of uh, the dollar to the euro that's occurred this year, but also over the last several years. And that is the U.S. has been very aggressive in raising rates or attacking the uh, problem at hand. And when Euro went negative, when Europe went negative on interest rates, um, we started to see a, a really significant spread. But the spread's blown out actually between if you look at the two-year Euro uh, German Bund and the uh, two-year Treasury, you've seen a spread move from 90 basis points to 270 basis points in a, in a one-year period. That's going to continue to strengthen the dollar, put more pressure on Europe, and attract more capital away at a time that Europe really needs capital to flow to it. So I think that's one of the challenges. You're seeing a similar challenge with the pound. And at the same time, both the European and UK government leaders are really being pressed up against it with the energy crisis that they're facing. 
and that's putting more strains on the system. And when you have that, the likelihood of recessions are starting to grow. And the amount of money that's going to be spent to carry through the winter for these European nations is really one of the big challenges for uh, how do they move forward and, and, and what happens here. So my expectation is that when you look at the dollar moves, and this is the dollar, the yen to the dollar, it's been very extreme so far. That doesn't mean it has to rebound down, but it could be flattening out and be somewhat stronger. We could see a little reversal in the dollar strength in the short term as Europe raises rates and other countries start to move to raise rates. But you're seeing a big difference in divergence of policies that's going to create some distortions in the global economy that we have to deal with. So for me, the question comes down to, is the West prepared for a winner of sacrifice? Can the leaders of, you know, Truss is a new leader in the U.K., came in with some plans. She's already starting to change some of the things she ran on because the realities of governing are different than the realities of running for an election. But the slowing growth combined with rising inflation, and when you step back and think about the four, four of the five major economies, um, and I rolled the EU into one, which makes it about a 25, uh, $26 trillion part of global GDP, China is about a $15 trillion part of global GDP, the UK around four and Japan around 12. You're looking at about 50, about 55% of global GDP in four economies that are struggling significantly. And the US is seeing uh, subpar growth too. Makes it very tough to see, have a very positive outlook for growth that should ease some of the inflationary pressures. But when you're dealing with food crises and energy crises in the near term, it's going to be very hard for governments to manage effectively through the structural things they have to put in place against the cyclical uh, challenges they're faced with at a time that they have less room for policy response. And when you have, in addition to that, three of the four major tailwinds that we've had driving the global economy for the last uh, decade, which were, you know, globalization, uh, it was technological advances, it was demographic uh uh, challenges and uh, geopolitical, a favorable geopolitical environment. We have a less favorable geopolitical environment now. We have globalization under attack because of these trading blocks that are being set up and new geopolitical alignments coming out of the war in Ukraine and uh, also the trade wars and other things where China is looking to reduce the U.S. power and influence around the world and increase their stature. You have all these headwinds that are becoming tailwinds. The only one that's still a tailwind is innovation and technological advances. So how do we push through with this is going to be one of the big questions when a lot of the forces that were positive are turning negative. And then that leads to the really final issue is can Europe and the UK remain united against the Russian aggression at a time that we don't allow this to continue and, and to unlock some of the problems in the face of really challenging food and energy crises that are being faced with people around the world. So I think it sets up for a very challenging time. And for us, the way to invest through this and into this is to hold the little higher levels of cash you normally would have, start to really think about the things you're doing from an asset allocation perspective. You know, what worked for the last decade is not going to work for the next decade, in our view. Um, the rate the rate cycle that we're in right now, higher rates, higher inflation pressures, pressure on corporate earnings is going to play through. And I think some of the you're seeing that um, some warning signs coming out of the earnings reports and uh, FactSet did a study that showed that um, 
I think about 50% of the uh, respondents of the S&P 500 on their earnings calls and that named recessions was one of the highest readings they've ever had as one of their top concerns. So I think we're going to continue to see some real challenges here. But I think the other thing is that correlations when we were at zero interest rates were very high. They're starting to break down considerably, and that's where the challenge is going to be for investors to be in the right areas at the right times. And what's your strategy? Is it a short-term trading strategy or is it a longer-term investment strategy? And how does that play out? I think it's going to be very fundamental. The move up in rates has made fixed income a viable alternative again, although until we get to a peak in rates, you're playing with a loaded gun because if we have a significant move up, you can lose an awful lot of money in the fixed income area without getting a lot of the upside to you. But I think the real issue is going to be can corporations who can invest to make the kind of uh, uh, productivity improvements that they that they need to deal with the demographic challenge, the wage pressures that they're uh, starting to see, and uh, what we have going on in terms of a reset of uh, consumer and uh, market expectations. The last thing I'd say is we do face some real challenges in the U.S., even though I think it's the best of a market in a in a pretty difficult market environment overall. I think the uh the train strikes that are uh being uh threatened um and other wage increases are going to really put challenges on governments and, and on companies and that's going to put a lot of pressure on the governments to how do they subsidize because to get out of this the feds told us we're going to have to have higher rates and maybe even significantly higher rates. And you're going to see a higher rate structure around the world for some period of time, uh, depending on how deep a recession we go, will determine how high the rates go. But until we get to a stabilization in inflation, stabilization in interest rates, it's going to be hard for equities to find a firmer footing and move forward. So I think that's going to be one of the challenges we're going to be faced with. Um, but the wage spiral is going to push companies to make the investments in technology to improve productivity, which is going to be absolutely essential to deal with things as we move forward. And lastly, I think the, the thing we've talked about for a lot of the sessions over the last year is we've moved into a very much a haves and have nots market, both on a, on a country level, on a company level, and on an individual level. And that's going to make select, make you the need to be much more selective as we move forward. So Mark, I'll stop there and open up for discussion. All right. Questions, comments? I've got a question. <clears throat> yeah, good morning, everybody. Um, Stephen, do you have any thoughts, and perhaps you've commented on this, with the passing of the Queen and uh, now with King Charles and, and by extension, the Commonwealth countries, is, is this going to disrupt things on any significant level in terms of the goings on around the globe? Uh, it's, hard, it's hard to say. I'm not an, I'm not an expert on on the UK and particularly in terms of the role of the king and queen relative to how the actual economy works. But what I read is uh, that there are real guardrails around what they, what the king or queen can do in terms of affecting policy. So I'm not sure what that means. Uh, It's really a question of can Charles and Truss give a, give a, confidence to the to the global economy and to the UK that they can deal with the problems that they have that are not insignificant. Uh, and I think the real challenge is getting is the winner of sacrifice uh, concept came from the FT and editorial in the FT. And it's really 
can can people pull together the way they did in the past when we were in wars to go through the pain that you have to go through to get to the other side? And and that's going to be a leadership issue. So I think that's best I can say on that, Andrew. Thank you. Yeah, Stephen, um, do you think the equity markets have fully priced in the upcoming winter? And that's one question. And and how significant do you think that will be for the capital markets moving forward this upcoming Uh, winter? It's really hard to know. It's really hard to know, Adam, because until you until you get inflation to moderate to stabilize and to start to come down, it's hard to see interest rates stabilizing it uh, at levels. Until you get there, it's hard for the equity market to put the proper valuation on it. And and I think earnings are going to be under pressure against the backdrop that we're seeing coming forward for a lot of companies. So uh, I think. I think it's going to be very volatile until you get uh, more clarity. And I'm unfortunately in the camp that I don't see a, a quick end to uh, the aggressions in Russia and Ukraine. I think it's going to drag out. Um, and I think that's going to create some real strains on the system. So one, yeah. one last question, Stephen, regarding uh, crude oil, Russian crude oil price cap. Do you have a do you have a thought on that? Well, that when you ask Maybe we ask Chris White what he thinks about that. You're on mute, though, Chris. Chris, you're still on mute. There you go. All right. What was the question? Price, the effectiveness of price caps. <laughs> Russian, oh, Russian price oil caps. price caps that that the EU has um, agreed to to do starting December 5th. Will that be effective? No. For every pressure point that you have here, there is a workaround, uh, relatively easy workarounds. Uh, so I, I don't see this as amounting to a hill of beans. As somebody noted the last time we were together, it will, of course, give uh, the Chinese and the Indians and the North Koreans uh, the ability to extract a little more value on the prices on the oil that they take. But, uh, but I, I think that's all that it will do. Mm-hmm. I, well, I don't see it as mattering here. Chris, my, then, then the follow-up question to that is the, the supply, how, how will Russia get that crude oil to places like China, um, India, because the tankers are not there. They don't have the tankers. The the tankers, can, can, tankers can be bought, Adam. It's not a big deal. Seaborn. You can buy a tanker tomorrow. You you know, we could go out and buy a tanker this afternoon. I mean, what you know, do you think? Do you think that the Chinese and the Russians and the Indians do not have the wherewithal to fix this problem. This is, yeah, this this is, is something that this may it's, an, it's an added cost, Adam, and at this at these prices, it's less of an issue uh, as a percentage of of cost. Chris, I, I have a-